I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. My name's Michelle Scharf, and I am not with a co-host today. My co-host, Jenny Taylor, is uh, attending the services for the funeral for the slain uh, Colorado police officer in the mass shooting, uh, Eric Talley, and... um, and so we are forgiving her and letting her uh, off the hook today. With me in studio is uh, a woman who it, it's actually a really timely um, opportunity for, for you to come in. We've been talking to you for a while and, and having you to come in. And it just so happened that you were scheduled today and um, Jenny ended up being called out. But with me today is Vicki Walker mm-hmm. and um, she is acquainted unfortunately with the grief of traumatic uh, mass shooting and um, and loss, grief and, and the steps of recovery um, following those events. Vicki, why don't you tell us about you and your story? <laughs> Well, yes, I am a real person with real experiences, and it's certainly something that I never thought that I would be, um, a road that I would be walking. Um, I am the mother of four children, um, all adult at this point. Yes, I am an empty nester, and um, I run a nonprofit, which we can talk a little bit about, and uh, also do work in the design industry. So... That's kind of what I'm doing today, but um, it took some time to get to this point. Um, in 2007, um, my husband, um, you know, I lost my husband in a mass shooting. And it was kind of um, the Colorado situation really, really, really affected me. Because the circumstances were very similar to what we experienced, and I thought I had processed so well, and um, it 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 was incredibly triggering. Yeah, I I can only imagine. I mean, isn't it? That's the way it works, right? That's the way it works. You you know, know, grief has just so many layers to it. Yeah. So uh, for our local Utah listeners, they're going to remember this story. It's emblazoned on all of our hearts (laughs) and minds. I don't think it's ever going to really completely go away. Um, Your husband was killed in the trolley square, what's known as the trolley square shooting. Right. So tell us about the events of that day and, and how your husband ended up there. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, we had gone on this fantastic family vacation the um, beginning of January. And I remember 
my two youngest children, um, their um, the schools were like, "How could you take this time off?" And yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got a little grief for taking them on this trip, but who would ever think that less than one month later, you know, Jeff would be gone? And so yeah. I'm super grateful. But um, it was February 12th, 2007, and Jeff and AJ, who was 16 at the time, and uh, my other daughter <clears throat> had just turned 17, um, had gone to Charlie Square to do last-minute Valentine shopping. Um, Jeff was amazingly generous to me around um, in anything. And he wanted to make sure he had a few more things. And AJ had a girlfriend at the time, which we were all up in arms around because, you know, he's 16. Yeah. And he's got a girlfriend already and she's gorgeous. And we were, you know, we were concerned about about AJ (laughs) going to get at least Valentine things for his girlfriend. Anyway, it was really sweet. But they were um, at Trolley Square. My um, youngest daughter and I were watching 24, one of my favorite shows in 2007. And we're sitting there watching TV and the phone rings. And Jeff, it was Jeff, and he goes, hey, I've got dinner. I'm, I'll be home in about half an hour. And, um, and I said, oh, gosh, hurry home. I could eat your arm. <laughs> and, and I always ended you know, a conversation with him as love you. Uh-huh. Love you. I always just love you. It was just very – and we hung up. And probably about 30 minutes later, there was a news crawl. Yeah. I mean, here we go. There was a news crawl along the bottom of the TV show, and it said, active shooter uh, at Trolley Square Mall. And um, for those that know me, I'm a, I'm really strong and I don't panic often and I'm really good in crises. Um, I have found, I didn't mm-hmm. know that was a quality I had, but, um, and my daughter turned to me and she goes, mom, that's where dad's at. And I said, I know, I know. And I said, don't worry. Let's, I'm going to start calling his phone. So I started calling his phone, started calling AJ's phone and neither one of them picked up. So what do you think? I start to think because I'm always a, a glass almost full kind of person. It's a, it's a, um, a situation that they can't be answering a phone. So um, I'm sure they're hiding. They've turned their phones off. So this is, this is the route that I chose to go. Um, until my landline rang probably about 15 to 20 minutes later, and it said, U of U Med Center. Oh, no. Yeah. And I picked up the phone, and it's kind of interesting I could hear a lot going on in the background. You know, usually when you're talking to a doctor or Mm -hmm. something of this nature, you could hear a lot going on in the background. And uh, they said, this is University of uh, Utah Medical Center. We have your son. And I remember thinking, you have my son. And And I knew because of previous experiences, they wouldn't tell me what his condition was. So I didn't even ask. Um, they just said, you need to get up here. And the next question I said is, do you have my husband? Do you know where my husband's at? And she said, we, we don't know. They're taking um, survivors, notice the term survivors, mm-hmm. to various hospitals. And um, we have a 52-year-old man. And I thought, oh, that could be Jeff. But Jeff was 53. But he could be Jeff. Mm-hmm. 
So I called a neighbor and I said, look, um, I also knew not to drive myself to the hospital. Um, that's where a lot of accidents happen because you're Panicking. panicked. Yeah, <laughs> you're panicked. And so um, I called a neighbor and said, could you drive me to the hospital? Um, this is what's happened. I don't know about Jeff yet, but AJ is at the hospital. And we drove to the hospital. And I remember when we got off the freeway. I lived in South Jordan at the time, which is south of the city for those that don't live here. Probably about 15, 20 minutes. And we got off the freeway. And I remember looking to my left on the 6th South off-ramp. And Trolley Square intersects with that off-ramp. And I looked over and it was just first responder vehicles were flying past us. And it was lit up like um, uh, the most horrific disaster. Uh, I mean, it was just, I think there were police officers from other cities that were flying down 6th South. So I remember looking over at that time and thinking to myself, I don't think this is going to be good. I had that feeling. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how somehow, somehow we know. Somehow we know. Somehow that just inner knowing, mm-hmm. yeah. that connected universal energy, whatever it is, that somehow we get the message before we get the real message. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm just always, always positive. And that thought just was fleeting, and then I pushed it out. And um, we got to University Hospital, and I knew when we parked and I went through the doors to the emergency room and they knew who we were, they immediately grabbed us and rushed us into a conference room. And I still knew nothing. So it started to fill up with friends and family that had heard what had happened um, because Jeff and I didn't really have any talents, but we knew how to make friends. <laughs> that was our talent. I don't sing. I don't play. I, I don't have no talents. Um, but we knew how to make friends. And at that moment, I was certainly grateful for that talent. And um, we were waiting for the doctor to come in and tell us about AJ and um, what his condition was. And... We had one of the finest neurosurgeons on call that night, gratefully. And he said, I'm going to let you go in to see AJ. But um, uh, don't be surprised. He is going to be very bloody. And um, he had a brain injury. And so he just said, we need to rush him into surgery. And I want you to see him before we take him. And then he explained to me the um, the parameters of the surgery and that we might not have our son at the end. And so there you go. Wow. That is intense. I This story has so much more to be told. We have to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to pick up where you left off. Okay. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Oh, such a big story. It's such a life experience. I mean, it's powerfully just hearing it. I feel the trauma. And <laughs> hearing you to go over the dates, I remember yeah. sitting at home and actually seeing the, 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 the news t- crawl. The, the news crawl. Yeah. And I, I, I can't imagine, you know, of course, I never thought I'd be sitting across someone who actually lived that experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it certainly was um, something I was not prepared for. Yeah. So, I, well, I, I, none of us can ever, you can never be no. prepared for something like this. You know, um, everyone says, uh, to I'm sure to you as well. You're so strong. You're so strong. I could never do yeah. what you went through. Yeah. And I I always say, well, we none of us think we can. Yeah. Until we're there. And guess what? None of us get a choice. Yeah. We have no choice. Yeah. We so. either get to rise up or we yep. just continue yep. to go into dark places. And you can't allow life's trauma yeah. to take you down. You just can't. Little did I know at that time, and we can talk about this later, but I was in the initial stages of um, what they call a trauma response in my body. And, and there's little little um, flags as to exactly what was happening and why I was responding the way I was. But they took me in to see, oh, my gosh, my beautiful son, who was 16, took me in to see him. and the first, And he had this huge smile on his face. And he had received shotgun spray. Um, Jeff was the first victim that night. They were in the back parking lot. They were two feet away from our car when they encountered the young man um, stepping out of his car oh. in a trench coat with a sawed-off shotgun. And <clears throat> Jeff, AJ, said to me when I walked in, he said, Mom. Um, and he had this big smile on his face. He was so happy to see me. And he said, Mom, Dad was so smart. And I said, how was Dad so smart, honey? And he said, he pretended like he was to sleep so he wouldn't get shot. And <clears throat> that was AJ's trauma response to what happened. Right. Dad was sleeping. And he was so smart. And it was, um, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, but I, 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 I wanted to meet with the um, homicide detective that had investigated all this because I wanted to know what happened that night with Jeff and AJ. And I didn't want to perpetuate a story that was untrue about Jeff of what AJ had told me. But when they encountered the uh, 18-year-old on the back parking lot, Jeff saw him, and he turned to move in a protective manner towards AJ. And so that um, action, um, Jeff would have ended up dying that night regardless. Mm -hmm. But his last, the last action that he had on earth was to say, oh, my gosh, and move towards AJ in a protective stance. And so AJ actually received shotgun spray all over in his head and it gave him the opportunity to uh, kind of in a split second recuperate to what the situation was and run. So 
Um, they ended up taking AJ into surgery and um, they moved us to another waiting room. And by that time, there were about 45 people in the waiting room with me and uh, family and friends. And I just remember um, I was in shock. And I felt like that we were all in shock. We didn't know whether AJ was going to survive a surgery, and we still hadn't heard about Jeff. Yeah. But I do remember... I don't know. Is that trauma response? Is it the same for everyone? Or is it... Well, like for me, I think I tend to go into like uh, caretaker mode where... <laughs> It's like, I just need to handle what's in front of me right now. We can't worry about anything else. And so I shut down the brain and stay focused right, right in the moment. It's your, it's the hypothalamus. It's, it's compromised during that thing. They call it the primitive brain and Mm -hmm. you're running on a primitive brain and Mm -hmm. I was running on a primitive brain. Yeah. And so it is that fight, flight or freeze. Mm-hmm. And I I think that mine was um, a little combination of all of them. Um, I was um, – the, the higher power Vicky was responding at this point mm-hmm. because I – the rest of me was like – Right. You make decision out. out. <laughs> right. I but just, you're uh, making high-level decisions high somehow. High-level decisions <laughs> somehow. <laughs> and this is what's kind of interesting because this is what made me decide I needed to do something after, you know – we went through this experience, but I didn't find out. And this is the thing that really got to me is um, I didn't find out until Jeff was killed at 635. And I didn't find out that Jeff was actually gone until 315 the next morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. And. I'm not criticizing anyone. Salt Lake had never had anything like this happen. Mm-hmm. It was a big crime scene. Right. There were five people killed that night. There were others that were seriously wounded. And I find no criticism whatsoever. I think they're my heroes, the victim advocates, the police officers, the first responders. They are my heroes. But... Imagine what I was going through right? as I'm waiting for my son to come out of surgery, and I don't know whether Jeff is with me anymore or not. Right. At that point, I kind of knew. Mm-hmm. And um, our we had a friend who was on the governor's detail um, as Governor Huntsman at the time, and he went to the governor and said, look, she does not know anything. Can I go on site? Can I break the barrier? Can I go on site? And can I let her know? And so he he informed me at 3.15. I don't know how much longer it would have been before I really knew if he hadn't done that. And um, within the hour, I had somebody. So just imagine how I, what's going on right now. My son's still out of surgery. I just find out my husband had been killed in a mass shooting. And, um, and we'd been talking about dinner. <laughs> right. And what we were going to do that weekend. Right. You know? Um, so I, I, there was a trauma response, um, nurse that came in, I think, notice, notice the terms that I use right now. Right. I think that's what she was. I don't know, uh, because I was in the deep stage of trauma 
And she sat down with me and she handed me a, a manila folder. And in that manila folder, she's talking to me and she's telling me all of these things that I need to be aware of. And do you remember the Peanuts cartoons? The teacher always sounded like this. <laughs> and I remember I just, I, you know, because my first response in any situation is kindness and, and charity. Yeah. And I remember looking at her and she's telling me all of these things. And I had to have had a dazed look in my face. I'm like, thank you. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. But everything she says to me is wah, wah, wah. And I looked in that folder with all these resources, and what do you think it looked like to me? Nothing. Nothing. Just gobbling. Because <laughs> the reality is, it might have been letters and shapes floating on yeah, a paper. The yeah. reality is, is I had a really good business acumen. I, I um, was a partner in a interior architecture firm, and so I kind of thought I really had it all figured out. And all of a sudden, when you are in this situation, you are brought to your proverbial knees. I don't yeah. care how smart you think you are. Right. I don't know how prepared you think you are. You are not prepared for this. You're not prepared for a sudden and unexpected death or event of this magnitude. Yeah. And I took that file folder and I sat down with all of my friends and I tucked it underneath my seat. And what do you, I, I never looked at it again. Right. I was flying blind. So. I understand that. I when we switched over to hospice, mm-hmm. they handed me mm-hmm. a bunch of paperwork, mm-hmm. and they were offering all kinds of things for our family. And uh, I I just cleaned out my office and, and has been going through boxes and boxes of things. I just came across it, and I never opened it. Yeah, I, ne- I never <laughs> opened it. I I just it just it just so it was you know we were just. I, how do you prepare? Yeah, there is no pre- you don't. preparation. And, and, and it's like you are in survival mode. And I remember I said, I, I went, so AJ came out of surgery. That handsome face, that handsome head of hair was all shaved off. And, and um, they ended up telling me that we were lucky that he had not been shot with lead. Now, let's put this into perspective for just a sec. Um, you know, we're really lucky. AJ is very lucky. He, he, he was shot with lead shot. I mean, um, steel shot, steel shot, not yeah. lead shot because right. somebody else that night after he reloaded was shot with lead and has a lot of issues associated with lead poisoning. And I remember at that moment hearing that comment, AJ's lucky. I hung on to that. I, will I ever feel lucky again? Yeah, that word "lucky" is that going to be out of my reach? Right. That that word, and then at that moment, I sat with that and I went, "We're lucky today because AJ was shot with steel shot, and they were able to. He still carries about forty to fifty pellets in his head because they just couldn't remove them. And oh that, my goodness! That amazing kid of mine is in his last semester at the U. And, um, but it's been super difficult, but I'm getting ahead. But I remember, um, I remember how do you ask for something when you don't know what you need to ask for? Um, I didn't know what to ask for. I didn't know what I needed at that point because I didn't know what I needed. Yeah. And, um, so I spent sleeping on the floor of AJ's, um, hospital room for probably a week or so. The funeral, a blur. Yeah. But interestingly enough, um, we were preparing 
for the funeral and we're sitting in the mortuary and Jeff's brother was uh, in law enforcement in California and he said to me, you know, Vicki, I think there's some kind of a fund that helps um, victims or survivors of a violent crime. And I went, what? I'd never heard of it because normally you would know through a victim advocate, but they couldn't get to us. So there's no way I'd know about it. But it's 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 um, it's a, a fund for victims and survivors of violent crime. And it is um, state funded and federally funded. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. It's a, a state crime victims um, fund. And um, we found out about it. And it kind of helped us in those first days um, with some financial issues that we didn't know that we would be coming across. Right. And like I said, it's federally funded, uh, partially federally funded and state funded. So. Well, that's awesome. I didn't even know about it. But I think uh, this is a good time to actually take a little break here and um, and then we'll yeah, we'll come back and resume our conversation. Sounds good. And we're back with Vicki Walker telling us uh, just a horrific story about the day her life was changed on so many levels, the loss of her husband and the uh, impacts of a uh, gunshot spray to her son and uh, in the trolley square shooting. Such a timely conversation to be having, having in light of our current uh, world that we're living in, where we've had a couple mass sh- shootings just recently. And um, Vicki, go ahead and, and continue your story. You were You were just sharing with us um, the opportunity to have some help with the victim a- advocate fund, right? And um, well, one of the first things that um, I think that we need to be aware of is when you're ever in this situation, you need to ask for a victim advocate because they can help you navigate those first hours because you really are flying blind. It's like I, when I give presentations, um, I speak uh, sometimes at a university level and do community presentations. But what I'll, I'll talk about is it's kind of like an atomic bomb. And if you show a picture of an atomic bomb, I mean, the destruction is just profound. But what always happens after an atomic bomb, you have an atomic cloud. Mm-hmm. And as a family that has experienced something like this, it's not just the bomb, but it's the cloud that sometimes can waft in and out of your life for years. Right. And I mean, it's just not something that you experience and you heal through it and then you just... Move on. Move right on. Yeah. Um, You know, I don't feel like our family had really, I felt like the wobble weeble. And I don't think that my wobble weeble had straightened itself uh, up to six years after the event happened. But, you know, Jeff, Jeff, um, as I mentioned in that uh, particular instance, he and AJ were in the back parking lot and they were going to our car when a young um, Bosnian immigrant, 18 years old, that... um, I just felt somewhat disenfranchised, um, showed up with a, a shot-off shotgun and started shooting. And there were five people that lost their uh, lives that night and several that were injured. Um, Jeff was and A.J. were the first um, victims of that night. And um, 
And they didn't even know that they were in the back parking lot uh, until they had secured the scene inside the mall. And I was going to say, I don't remember that. Yeah. I, I don't remember hearing like first shots or yeah. because I remember they had an active shooter inside yeah. the mall. No, nope, it was. So, you know, yeah. when, when you called to talk to me, I'm like, I don't really remember anyone being yeah. shot outside. Yep. He, they didn't even know they were there. And AJ jumped up uh, and was bleeding. And ran down to the lower level of the parking terrace and started yelling for people not to go in. And they have several um, recordings of someone calling 911 and saying, there's a, there's a kid running around telling people not to go into Trolley Square. And so, oh, you know, I'm so proud of Jeff. And I am so proud of AJ. Yeah. Because, um, you know. Their fellow man was first, at, you know, for Jeff, his son was of course, his first yeah. priority. Yep. And then for AJ, you know, his fellow man, yeah. like to yep. not let anyone else be yep. harmed. He ran around on the lower level uh. yelling for people not to go in. So when he was sprayed, what, did it spray his face? It, did he? It was, um, it grazed the um, the left side. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty, it was a pretty unthinkable situation. And, um, you know, again, you know, just everyone hearing, kept saying, you're doing so well. Thinking, I'm going, I don't have a choice. <laughs> I right, have, and you're like, inside, this is not well. I, I can have, promise you, not yeah, well. <laughs> my two older children were adults at that point, And my two younger ones were 16 and 17. And they kept looking to me with these beautiful eyes to let them know that it was going to be okay. And so that became my mantra. Yeah. You know, hearing this story, just to go back one more time, because I'm just processing this, and I imagine our listeners will be too, to not have heard heard about the outside shooting, to not ha- at least to not remember it so many years later, I just wonder, like... That shows the clear intention for this person to take out as many people immediately yeah. and as for as long as possible. Yeah. And um, for some reason, I guess I kind of thought it was not targeted really, but um, that it was kind of a slower process for this shooter. Mm-hmm. And clearly, this person intention was to hurt and take out as many people as possible yes um law enforcement and the fbi tried to find you know information this is probably one of the first situations that had happened um after uh, columbine and there'd been a period of time that we didn't have this happen right and then um you know our situation um happened and then we were eclipsed within four or five months of another shooting where 10 people lost their life. It's just like, yeah. seriously, I, I when I lecture people, I say all the time, you know, oh, four people died. 40 people, like the Pulse nightclub shooting was really t- hor- horrific, 40 that night. And my comment to everyone is any loss of life. Yeah. Look at us. Right. And the reverberation in our in our family and in our community from one person. So when, you know, one, one life lost is, is horrific in this manner. Right. 
you know, it's hard in any situation. And I think about that all the time as I'm talking to people on, on this podcast. We talk about, um, it, you know, that unfortunately life is complicated and difficult. We don't have just one big trial. Right. It's not a one and done situation. No. So, so life continues to happen. But there's also that trauma part. For instance, for my children, they lost their dad and they had time. They had 22 months of time yep. to say what that needed to be said, whatever. Whether they did or didn't, I, you know, I'm sure that there will be layers to that as they grow older. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always like subsequent issues related to uh, any un, yes, any early death. But then you layer on trauma where it is um, an act of this magnitude against a random act where so many people lose their life, you have compounded trauma. You have the community trauma. You have the trauma in your own family. You have complicated trauma. Not only did you lost your husband, you had uh, damages to a child. And then both you and that child have to figure out how to move forward. And all of the repercussions within the other siblings, within the friends and families that witnessed this, that lost... those people that they loved it's just so it compounds the grief it's the cloud the atomic cloud right it just keeps rolling on yeah it it does and you know i've i've often thought about this because um aj required so much attention at that time but you're still moving in a shocked in a state of of trauma with trauma brain and you add another layer onto this and i'm going to segue into when i was watching colorado and by the way i don't sit there and and i'm not glued to Mm -hmm. the television when this kind of thing happens but it just happened that i i had come back uh, come back from an appointment and i'm sitting in my office and i turned on the tv and there it was and when i entered when i met with the homicide detective I wanted to find out everything. Uh, that's me. I'm that kind of person. I mm-hmm. want to know everything. I want to know every step that Jeff had taken. I want to know everything. And I said to him, I said, um, I wanted him to tell me everything he could. And he says, Vicki, I, 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 had, I had an officer watching over Jeff. And he said it was very traumatizing for that officer to see your phone, Jeff's phone, ringing over and over and over again with your, with um, my wifey is what he had me in the, his phone, my wifey. And he said, you called over and over and over and over. And when they were talking about the Colorado situation, they said, King Super is really quiet, except for all the phones ringing. And that's when it triggered me. Yeah. <laughs> because that was a, a gut response. That was something that hit really deep. Because I knew exactly what it felt like to be making those phone calls over and over and over again. Yeah. But you add... The other layer that I think to our situation that made it even more difficult was the media. Now, I have a lot of friends in the media, mm-hmm. and um, and I respect their um, their role for sure. 
but I didn't have a voice on what to say to the media. Do I owe them an interview? Do I? Larry King wanted um, AJ and I to come on his show two months after the event when AJ, you know, uh, was still learning how to uh, regain his skills in reading and writing. Yeah. You know, after his brain injury. Right. So I, and I remember I kept thinking to myself, oh, I probably should open myself. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, you know, rude. And that was what was on my mind during that period of time. And I remember when we finally, I finally granted an interview with um, the local media. Um, It was probably a month and a half after the event. And the reporter said to me, he reprimanded me for not allowing them to come in and interview us about an important event. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was a Yeah, you're not added, obligated. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> oh, I know now. Oh, and anyone oh, listening. <laughs> and anyone listening that might find yourself in you are not obligated you to are, talk to anybody. Well, I have a lot of messages <laughs> I like to leave with people after this event. Yeah. Yes. And that is one of them. But again, my nature was to be very accommodating and friendly and you're in right. this event and you don't know because you don't know. And so that was part of the reason I started the organization I did is because we need coaching and we Absolutely. we need to know what we should ask for, what we need, what our rights are, um, what we owe the public, if in fact we owe the public anything, anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. But again, how do you prepare for something like right. this? You never did. No. You it, know? You know, it. Here's the irony about my story. So I thought I was preparing during the time that we had been diagnosed to the time that he died. I thought I'm going to, this is going to end in his death and I've accepted that. So I will be able to carry on and pick up and move on. And I did for the first year. And then I discovered, (laughs) oh, latent trauma. (laughs) I, you cannot prepare for somebody's death until they're gone. There is no way to prepare. And I had teased myself because it was one of my largest fear fears is losing any of my family members. Mm-hmm. And um and so I, I I've shared this on this podcast before, but um I would plan funerals for my family, for my husband and my children. I'd share them with my husband through the years because you know, they change as, yeah. as your life changes. And um and it did come in handy. Um, because I never want it to be stuck in the fair. I'm such a planner, type A, driven. Oh, I am I wanted, too. I wanted to cover all my bases. So, And I, I felt like there was some control in that, like as if I planned it, it'll never happen. Yeah. I'll never need yep. it. And unfortunately, that's not the way life is. Yeah. I, You know, before everyone started using this term, I remember going, my plan A with Jeff was so good. I know, right? And my p- plan B was not. I And, and one day I, well, I, I, I think we both are like, we got our plan Z. Yeah. Like we had a whole lot of, of combinations that would have been so incredible. But this one was never really on the docket. You know, I have a lot of friends that love Legos and, and one in particular, she's our grant writer and she loves, she had, I think she had like a Harry Potter Lego set. And I mean, it was just, I looked at it and it was amazing. But you know, when you 
when you break open the Legos, they're all they fall. They're all yeah. they're everywhere. Yeah. I know. I step on them, but um, I it. it I didn't ever see how my Legos would get put back together again. Yeah. And if they would look like that life that we had built and it, they don't. Yeah. But I love know. that analogy. Yeah. And my but, husband used to say, I feel like I was in the middle of building this puzzle. I was almost done and God came and kicked the puzzle, the puzzle. And mm-hmm. I'm never going to be able to find all the pieces. And the Legos are all over. And, yeah. you know, if, if I don't step on a Lego every once in a while and it reminds me that I need to put it somewhere. Yeah. Because um, I need to Do put... Do you still have Legos in your house? <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> it's so funny I because have as a, a grandma, I, I do will have not a, allow those I do have a grandma house. closet, but... <laughs> Yeah, you know, even as a grandma, I can't I do it. I've stepped on so many of those ding things in my. Yeah, it, it's just I don't know. I mean, and I, I wasn't. I never thought I'd have to prepare words like this, and I never knew. But you know what? I experienced something so horrific, and when you go through something like that, you. I remember I was watching TV, and it was right after AJ had come back from rehabilitation because mm-hmm. he was in ICU for 10 days and then he was in, in the rehab center. And I, I'd let him go out with friends. So this is my first night in my house completely alone. And I am going through all the upper stations, the channel stations, and I'm going to go on record. I don't watch the Kardashians. They are on E, the yeah. E channel. Uh-huh. I don't watch them. But, and there's nothing wrong with watching them. But um, but I was on that channel flipping through, and there was a a picture of the Trolley Square Towers, and then they superimposed a picture of Jeff over it, and then a picture of AJ, oh. and I, I I I was so shocked again. I'm watching this, and this was a national TV program telling my story mm-hmm. about my family to the country. Yeah. And I remember watching that, and I was so shocked, and I hurried up, and I hit the guide part of my remote, and it said, um, the five worst postal moments in uh, America, and Trolley Square at that time was number four. And I remember thinking, I, 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 you're not going to tell my story anymore. Yeah. And... It was within months after the event that it started rolling around in my head that I needed to take my experience because no matter how hard I tried to put the Lego life together again, it was just not going to go back. You know, if Jenny was here, she would say that she knew immediately when she had those officers at her door that it was this first year was not going to be about her and her grief and her, her, her family. It was going to be about telling their story because if she knew that if she didn't tell it yeah they would yeah and that's what happened and it's when it really hit me Mm because all i wanted to do was rebuild my life with my family right of course but um i knew that um i knew that something had just been handed to me that i could do something to help others and there were a lot of other things that happened during that period of time that were incredibly traumatic it was a loss, you know, there was a lot and, you know, we can talk about that if you want to at some point. But I just remember thinking to myself, um, 
I have to get through. There was one, I remember when the first time after sleeping on the floor of the hospital with AJ and the first time I had gone back home to sleep in my, in my own bed. And there were two really profound things that happened. And one is very um, heartfelt. And it was that I, I pulled my bed down and I looked over at Jeff's side of the bed and I had this really strong thought that that side of the bed would never be messed up again. And quite frankly, it never has. And as I slept into bed that night and I, I fell to sleep, I was so exhausted every night that I didn't have to take anything. I, I fell to sleep. And when I woke up, I had a sign that I would see. It was over the bathroom door that I could see from my side of the bed and the, and the sign said, Joy. And I remember rolling over and looking at that sign and going, I'm never going to feel joy again. I, I, That is going to be something that will escape me. How could I ever feel it again? And as I laid in bed, I just thought to myself, I, I, I can't go through life like this. I have got to try and find an element of joy every day because I'm going to get sucked into this this vortex of grief and ugly. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really not trying to be little Miss Mary Sunshine, but I knew that I would get sucked down fast. And so I just decided that every morning when I woke up, I saw that sign. And every morning when I woke up, I decided today I've got to find one thing that I can uh, call that was uh, brought me a little element of joy. And for many days, it was um, AJ. And it was seeing AJ smile when I walked into the room or it was hearing AJ try, uh, trying to do flashcards car- with the um, occupational therapist. And those were really a lot of mo- moments of joy. And when I, once I got my family back into our home and then we were dealing with real life because, you know, everything was centered around AJ in those first weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I had to find joy in the fact that um, the people that did my yard wouldn't let me pay them. Mm-hmm. And they came and did my yard without me having to think about it. Um, and so I started keeping a, a journal of joy. Yeah. And I, I know that it. it's really kind of your gratitude journal. Yeah. yeah. It, I, it's, you can call it your journal of joy. But I mean, I think it's one of the things that I had to do, too. Yeah. You have to start finding the positives of every day so that you can start off the day yeah. with something to, to have in your cup rather than starting with an empty cup. With an empty cup. You know, and and I, I to to the listeners out there, I want you to know, I know your journey, and I know what you're feeling. I know, and I can't say that to too many people, but I know what you're going through. And this is this. I used to always roll my eyes. The gratitude journal. I'm not a journal writer. Mm-hmm. I'm not a you know. I'm, I'm not that. And in the end, I would write. I would write three words, uh, uh, AJ smile. I didn't have to write a paragraph. So the other thing that I want to say is that the stress and the anxiety of the situation literally would, I would spin out of control. How am I going to make the house payment? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? What about insurance? Uh, when Jeff died, our insurance was to him. Now we're on Cobra. And we did and I was just rolling through everything. And my anxiety level was out the roof. And I had a friend set me down one day and he said, and he doesn't have a background in mental health. And he says, Vicki, I want to, you want, I, I just, he just took my face in his hands 
And he said, I want you to understand something right now. You've got to promise me this. And I said, I'll try. And he says, no, you've got to promise me. And I made a commitment to him. And he said, you will not think about anything other than today and maybe tomorrow. He says, do not think a week or two weeks ahead. Of course, we have to keep our schedules, you know. Mm-hmm. I have to take AJ to occupational therapy. Or, but the reality is I didn't think too far into the future because if I did, it would absolutely send me into a tailspin. And that really helped me in those initial days Yeah, to do the, I am only going to do it today with my family. It took me about four months to get there. Yeah. And somebody had actually recommended a book. I can't remember which one it was. But it's about being in the present, right? And um, and I read that, and it resonated with me so well. I think I've gotten a little bit too comfortable in staying in the present. <laughs> <laughs> I probably need to start looking for work oh, at some point. Gosh. But oh, um, trust me, it's interesting <laughs> to get back into the workforce. Yeah. After so, this. um, but you know, I think that those are such great tips to um, when you go through something like this to when you're ready. To start looking for the positives of that day. The little so, ones. Yeah. The, the smallest thing. Somebody brought me a meal today. Somebody mowed yeah. my lawn. Somebody came over and did my dishes. Or if, if you don't have that kind of support around you, it might be like, I got up today and I brushed my teeth. Yep. It, it Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be huge. Start off with the smallest of things. You will see over time you will see that list grow and you will start to feel better and better and you climb Little. out of that darkness. I, I often refer to it. You're absolutely correct. I couldn't agree with you more. I think what happens is, is it sets your brain because I've done a lot of brain work mm-hmm. since this has happened and a lot of work in trauma and, you know, what happens during trauma that I can talk about. But it sets your brain on a course for that day. Yeah. Right. And and when you when you write it down and like I said, I am not a journal writer. If you get five words out of me, that's good. But it sets intent. Absolutely. And I, I know it's because sometimes it can be a little esoteric to, you know, say those kind of things, but it sets the intent of moving forward in little teeny doses. Doses. Yeah. You know how uh, t- Tim Conway on Carol Burnett when he would he'd play the older gentleman and mm-hmm. he would walk and it was this little as he walked and everybody thought it was so funny we were all laughing yeah but that's how I felt I moved forward I didn't take a big step and turn around and go look where I'm at I felt like Tim Conway without the humor going yep I totally get it well I I love the those are your tips for resiliency, the the setting that gratitude journal and, and building on those. I totally get it. Like it's it is starting the day with something in that cup. And and if we can start the day with our cup completely filled, then as we go through our day, some may come out of that, but we can still in the day not depleted and the damage and the hard yep. struggle when you're dealing with a trauma, a crisis, a loss is that you already are in that deficit. And if you can't see the value in the next step, you get to a dark place pretty fast. I say, amen. Yeah. (laughs) And I also say that we were lucky in one respect. Here is my gratitude journal. 
We were lucky because we had children that we needed to rise and be resilient for. Absolutely. And so that is something that I think forced me into being resilient. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a choice. Right. So. So then we just have to decide how to make it better. Yeah. We, we are to the end of our show, but we need to go into just one more subject. So this might be a little bit longer than we okay. typically go. And, okay. I, and I hope that our viewers or listeners, are, we don't have viewers. We have listeners. <laughs> a good thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't brush my hair today. It's okay. Um, our uh, listeners will be able to know what you accomplished. You started a victim's uh, resource for for victims that have been uh, have gone through a traumatic event. Right. So, t- so tell us the name of your foundation. So it's called Circles of Comfort. And is there a website? Yes, it's www.circlesofcomfort.org. Okay. And we've kind of evolved. We started out where we were just working with survivors or uh, families that had lost someone to a violent crime, innocent survivors. And we have found, um, I'm also um, a state-certified QPR instructor, which is um, for suicide prevention, or uh, identifying the signs of suicide. And um, so we have expanded it because the reality is when I lecture, I lecture not about the event per se, but I lecture about the trauma associated mm-hmm. with this with this type of thing. So we have expanded our organization into violent crime, but uh, trauma. And lastly, for families that have experienced a sudden and unexpected death, because what I needed is what they need. Right. And that is how do you take the steps in those first hours when you are at your highest level of a trauma response? And remember the social worker that met with me, the wah, 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 wah. Mm-hmm. Um, our delivery system is brilliant. And I didn't make that up. I've been told that from therapists and first responders and Our delivery system is varied, but one of the delivery systems is to get something in the hands of the family that is going through this experience that they won't lose, and it has a cliff note of what you need to do in those first hours. They don't understand that they're in the highest level of trauma. So we give them a little little list. We call it the 96-hour survival guide because, quite frankly, you're in your highest level of trauma after an event of this nature for 96 hours. For some, it may be longer, but it's a checklist of things they need to know. And then we have also on the backside, what I call the cliff notes. I was so familiar with cliff notes in, high, in college, the cliff notes of resources to get them on their way, like the crime victims reparation fund and things like that. Or for a family that's had a sudden and unexpected loss, we, um, we are now working on that aspect of our website. It's not up yet, but it will be. And we're going to be working more with the public. We're not just going to be working with first responders. We are, we've got a program that we are going to be launching that anyone throughout the country can utilize. I love that. And once I, uh, once we have. Because here's the reality. Yeah. You're not going to be able to reach out to everyone. No. You're not going to have no. access to those people. Mm-hmm. But if you can educate people that are it. around them, they could, they could print off something, that 96 yep. hour survival kit yep. and get it to them. 
immediately. And for the person that maybe doesn't know what to say or do for their friend, at least they would have a tool. Yep. And sadly enough, we all need this kind of information and training because we don't know when something's going to happen. And it doesn't have to be a mass shooting. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. When I announced that we were going to be doing sudden and unexpected death, helping Mm -hmm. families, Mm Mm-hmm. I started getting all of these private messages. You know, when you know that you're in, you're going in the right direction that is blessed. Yeah. This was the right direction that's being blessed because I received so, I get, I'm having chills right now. I received so many private messages of people saying, what can I do to help? When my dad was killed in a car accident, I remember my mom and she, our family was so traumatized. And when my, you know, and, and, um, um, my son, uh, died by suicide and we don't know what to do. I immediately know what to tell them, and I immediately know what to, to tell them to look for. Yeah. And we are going to... Our Can you share with us a few of those things? Well, one of the first things, and like I said, if if anyone is to look at what our list is of what you should be aware of in the first 96 hours, they go, of course. But guess what? When you're in trauma, it's not of course. Right. You just don't even know. Right. So... Um, one of the first things is, and you know, if we have time, we can talk about the the brain response in trauma, but, um, is that you are functioning at the, at such a low level intellectually, (laughs) you think that you're not, but you are, and you need to have a family spokesperson or what I say is a family buddy that follows you everywhere you go. And is at your beck and call. They are with you when you go to the funeral home or they are with you when you have to uh, find a therapist or they are with you. They are someone that can be your adversary and your advocate. Why adversary? Um, Because in some, not adversary, I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean that. Your advocate. Okay. Uh, um, um, Because um i would have really appreciated having someone that was a little more clear-headed right when we had to make some decisions at the funeral home um i would have appreciated somebody that um well in the case of our situation um with the press we had somebody that said no she's not you know and spoke with the press um someone that can talk to other family members um you know what's really interesting in these these situations with trauma is sometimes family can behave the worst yeah. in these situations. Yeah. And I remember that I there were some situations where family they're in trauma as well. Mhm. And your I didn't know how to I didn't know how to respond. Yeah. So having someone that's kind of like your, you know, we had a, an attorney who happened to be our friend as well. So he really knew how to, to do this. but To navigate those things. To navigate it. And the other one is is to, uh, with, with the crime, is that you need to immediately reach out to Crime Victims Reparation Fund. For families that have uh, had a sudden and unexpected loss, there may be some resources available for them. We're going to have all those on our website but um, they also need to know how to inform family. They need to know how to work with the funeral home. They need to know that um, you don't need to have money right up front. You're just so overwhelmed with the, the trauma of everything. You're scared because all of a sudden things have been affected financially. And right. So we kind of give them um, 
you know, um, a roadmap, if you will. In the case of suicide, um, there are certain things that I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to go into detail, but homeowners insurance may help with some things. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at the, and it at the sounds place. crazy to yeah. have to like know what your financial resources or, or right. avenues to maybe help out. But these are usually large, unexpected expenditures that most people don't have right. that sitting around and, and able to. So it, it's an additional burden to yep. what's happening. You we, know. Yeah. We've been able to negotiate with some cleanup companies to help families that don't have the money. I mean, you know, we're there to help them move through, give them comfort yeah. in some way. If it's just how, it, how is the foundation funded? Oh, well, we are funded um, strictly by grants and and public donation uh, donations. That's it. Okay. I don't have an angel investor, and there are a lot of organizations right now that are kind of the flavor of the moment that are just. I mean, I watch on Giving Tuesday and watch them pull in all this money, and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just trying so hard to help these families. Yeah. And the reality is, well, hopefully, it takes we'll, money. Yeah, it does. Well, hopefully, some of our listeners will feel um, impressed and want to support uh, the foundation. It's a 501c3, of and, course. Of course. Mm-hmm. So it's tax deduct- deductible. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and reliving this event in your life. Um, you know, I, I know all too well that it's not as if you don't live it every day. Right. It just is something that will never not be a part of your experience. And um, I know it's difficult and I know, I know it's chal- challenging to revisit these things. So I really appreciate your vulnerability and your openness and your willingness to come on and to share with me today. Trauma therapy has great has helped us greatly, you know. Well, so. I I really appreciate that. For those of you listening, if you have liked what you heard and would like to subscribe to free to our podcast, um, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. If you know someone who has a story that you'd like to tell, it doesn't have to be about loss. Uh, it doesn't have to be about a big, huge event. It could just be any challenging experience in their life that they've overcome and that they have been a beacon of resiliency. We would love to hear from them or you. You can nominate them to uh, be on the podcast. You can send us an email at rrpodcast at ksl.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles other people are dealing with in their lives. Thank you. Have a good day.